This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The Eyes to the Left. Hello and welcome to Eyes to the Left, the Mirror's political podcast discussing all things politics and Westminster. My name is Jason Beatty. I'm the Mirror's Head of Politics and I'm delighted to be joined today by my colleague Ben Glaze. Hello. And Nicola Bartlett. Hello. And we're going to be talking about the week's events uh, in Westminster and beyond, kicking off with Prime Minister's Questions, or PMQs as we call it, which took place just a couple of hours ago, and I thought for a change that Theresa May emerge as the stronger candidate. I'm not sure you thought the same, Ben. You were in the chamber watching it? Yeah, for the past few weeks, I think Jeremy Corbyn's had the better of the Prime Minister, um, but Theresa May was kind of the comeback queen today, I thought. Um, Jeremy Corbyn, he, he was a bit scattergun in his approach. Um, where he sort of succeeded over the last few weeks is picking an issue, and three times in a row that was universal credit and really pressing the Prime Minister hard on it and that, that was a good issue, universal credit because there was some Tory rebellion there was some independent uh, experts who were against it and of course it was a massive issue for Labour voters um, but today he, he did a bit of universal credit but he also picked far too many disparate issues really that didn't didn't unite didn't give him an opportunity I didn't think to press too much on the Prime Minister and I thought she got away with it yeah, today. I, I, I think the intention was kind of understandable I think you know it's a week until the budget big event next week look out for our special podcast on that <laughs> uh, and he wanted to kind of you know set the scene from Labour's point of view of where we are as a country and, and all the things which are going wrong and you could have say it was a kind of litany of complaints or you could say it's a kind of holding government to account for the failure so as you say you know he started with uh, crime violent crime going up very badly then he moved quickly on to police cuts then he moved on to NHS cuts, and then we got onto universal credit, then we got onto school cuts, and then we got onto tax avoidance, which was a lot of subjects. I, did I miss anything out? Do let me know. <laughs> you mentioned the NHS thing. The I NHS. think <laughs> I, do, I got, but, but and as you say, but previously when he's done this, it's worked quite well because he's kind of caught Theresa May on the hot for each question. So she's trying to answer one question, and he hits her with the next subject, and then she's still playing catch up. This time I thought, Nicola, I don't even, she seemed much more confident than she has done in recent weeks. Yeah, she, she, um, I think she got a sort of early win against him because he, he was quite uh, pleased with this example of um, a police station having to face closure in, in Uxbridge. Um, and none other than the uh, Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson complained about that. So he was sort of brandishing this as, a, as an example of her own government complaining about her policies. But of course she retorted quite easily that uh, police stations in London come under the um, 
the mayor of London, who of course is Sadiq Khan, who she said is Labour, although maybe not Labour enough for you, Mr Corbyn. So I think once she'd sort of got one win in, she she sort of felt quite comfortable. And I think it's actually a real shame for Corbyn because there are signs that the government might be kind of rowing back on universal credit. Um, you know, I think Sky has reported today that, that there will be changes to um, the system, which is uh, the main problem is the delay um, people experience of getting payments, especially in the run up to Christmas. You can imagine this is the six weeks. How, they have yeah, to wait. how it's much driving people into to poverty, taking out emergency loans, some are facing eviction. Sure. So I think you know it's it's a real shame because if that happens, Corbyn has, as as you said, Ben, he's he's used so many of these sessions to hammer home the issues with universal credit and you know really raise the profile of this and kept the pressure up but he sort of let it drop a bit a week before he potentially take ownership and of this this win even more in congress he had actually quite a good card up his yeah scheme, which is letter he'd got from a, a, a lettings agency saying it was going to evict the tenants because they're on universal credit they couldn't guarantee well, they were going to get the income from them it's actually preemptively he yeah. sent them out. They haven't gone on to Universal Credit yet. Yeah, which, which is, is an outrageous situation that you know people who are going to lose money anyway now face losing their homes as well. Um, and yeah, I think Corbyn it was a bit of a missed opportunity because he, because he'd taken ownership of Universal mm. Credit yeah. right at the moment where it looks like the government might actually give in and do something to stop this six weeks delay in getting uh, your first benefit payment. It looks like it now might be claimed by Tory rebels as a victory yeah. rather than Jeremy Corbyn. And I think that'd be that'd be missed opportunity for him today I thought yeah I, I just quickly I think I should add this because just for sake of fairness I, I, it was slightly if you ask me kind of disingenuous of Theresa May to say Sadiq Khan was responsible sure. the money the budget he inherited came from the <laughs> government he's campaigning vociferously for extra funds for policing I mean but I mean but it's, this shows how dirty politics works yeah. well, got a, it was a neat line it got got a, got a, you know got out of a hole of course it's worse now isn't it because who was the home secretary for six years <laughs> when Mind the, ben. when the <laughs> happening so you know yeah. this goes right to Theresa May's door um, yeah so he, he, again you could have pressed the harder on that I thought she was there for the taking on that yeah I, I, I genuinely think we agree it was a bad day at the office of Jeremy Corbyn but things he'd started getting better at which being quicker on his lighter on his feet kind of sharper in his responses when Theresa May had said something exactly like this mm. he failed to he stuck quite rigidly to a, a, a set pattern of questions didn't diverge much from them but what I think we should it's interesting that we're talking like this, you know, saying on oh, Jeremy Corbyn didn't he have a bad week mm. this week. Whereas a year ago, we wouldn't have even been in our heads that he could better her prime minister's questions once. Whereas, you know, we're now saying that she got the better of him for a change. Whereas yeah. a year ago, maybe even you know eight months ago, we weren't at that stage whatsoever. I mean, we, arguably not until straight after the uh, the general election in June. Yeah, and for Theresa May after a pretty torrid couple of weeks mind you every week seems to be a torrid week in the May government at the moment more problems on Brexit which we'll come on to later you know this was kind of you know this was a chance to rebuild a bit of her kind of her confidence I thought she she looked you know more the old May yeah and so I, I was in in the chamber about 10 minutes before Prime Minister's question started so I was there for the arrival of Theresa May and it's noticeable and it's always been the case how much loudly how much more loudly the Tory backbenchers cheer when she arrives in the chamber than even now the Labour backbenchers uh, cheer when Jeremy Corbyn comes in. So it, it's a, you know, Prime Minister's question is a gladiatorial contest where it's uh, you know it's very divisive, very adversarial, um, where sides, no matter what their differences are with their leaders, both 
try to unite behind their leaders to come together. And the Conservatives, we've always said Labour's more tribal. The Conservatives, I think because they realise they're under pressure, because because their leader's unpopular, they seem to come together for half an hour a week, or 50 minutes now, thanks to John Burko, a week, to sort of get behind her. And it does, you, you visibly, you can see a perk up as a result of it. Yeah. And, Nicola, it was kind of low on news, I thought, in terms of the Prime Minister's questions, apart from, obviously, the mention of Pride of Britain, which was the <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Apart from, I thought, an interesting line on Russia and whether it interfered in the US, uh, UK elections. Uh, what, what, what did the Prime Minister have to say on that? Yes, this came from um, Labour's Mary Cray, who was... Well, Theresa May made quite an interesting kind of intervention into this debate on Monday when she, I mean, t- to paraphrase, said, you know, Russia needs to butt out of our politics, basically. But it was the the most... Accusing um, of sowing discord, yeah. meddling in our elections, and relying, we know what you're up to. It was a much more kind of... Um, it was quite strong language, really, from a prime minister aimed at another country. Um, and Mirko was basically pointing out the incongruity between that approach and Boris Johnson, who seemed to have denied all knowledge that there was the possibility of any meddling, um, despite these reports of thousands and thousands of social media um, bots, if you like, which were trying to influence uh, opinion online in the run-up to Brexit. Um in 24, a couple of months ago, I remember watching this bot farm. Well, it wasn't a bot farm. It was a load of uh, trolls in a troll farm. And uh, they just sat there in front of these computer screens for 12 hours a day, pumping out um, messages on, on Facebook, on Twitter, um, and other social media uh, that is deliberately seeking to sow division, disrupt, and influence. And the idea that uh, you know, a load of Russians might be somewhere, I think it was in a Black Sea resort, according to a report today, um, hundreds of them sitting there uh, tweeting about Brexit, for example, um, it is quite, it's quite worrying. And it's, you know, this sort of malevolent influence it might have on our politics um, you know cold, I've born towards the end of the Cold War where you know we thought about these dead letter mm. drops and spies you know meeting and Max on Hampstead Heath and that sort of thing um, but this is seems to be far more effective um, albeit in a more subliminal way of, of influencing public opinion and you know there, there are links to well, links have been suggested between leading Brexiteers and Russian money. Um, and that's something that, you know, an investigation is underway by the Electoral Commission. Um, and it'd be fascinating to see how that pans out. But it has real real questions for our democracy. And who, who owns it, really? And a lot of responsibility on the social media companies, Twitter and Facebook in particular, who are hosting these messages and allowing them to as you say pollute our public space it's it's been the case that every it's always assumed that facebook was the preserve of the democrats in the u.s and facebook's uh, bosses didn't you know weren't particularly happy with donald trump's uh, victory last november and now of course in the last few months it's emerged that russians may have been influencing on facebook and I think that has made Mark Zuckerberg, for example, but other Facebook executives and probably on Twitter, sit up and take more notice and perhaps take it more seriously now that 
there was that aspect to it. Um, they have got a huge responsibility. You know, there's a big argument over whether they're publishers or media companies, that sort of thing. But they do, you know, they, they come into our homes, they come into our mobile phones. We all use them. We all use them, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I left Facebook. Part, I left it. Integral part of how we communicate and socialise nowadays. Now, now, Damien Collins, who's the Tory MP who chairs the Cultural Media and Sport Committee, is looking at this very carefully. He's asking Facebook and Twitter to come forward with evidence about you know what they're doing about uh, kind of possible Russian trolling and you know give kind of figures about how much they may have kind of carried these bots and other sort of messages and then we've got the Prime Minister saying the Intelligence and Security Committee now that's a kind of slightly interesting group of MPs and peers who oversee MI6, MI5 and GCHQ also to look at it um, so how serious a problem is it, do you think, Nicola? Do you think the Russians did interfere and could they have kind of swayed the result of the EU referendum? Well, I think, you know, from what we've heard so far, it seems quite likely that, that they have. I mean, if they want to, then this seems an ideal way of, of doing it. Kind of, you know, why ever not, if you're going to get away with it? Um, I do question how much influence they can have just because I think those of us in the media and in the political world kind of overestimate the influence of social media sometimes. I mean, Twitter especially, you know, normal people just don't really pay any attention to Twitter. Facebook's a bit different because, you know, it's a lot more kind of ingrained in people's family relationships yeah. and friends. Yeah, there's 5 million people on Twitter in the UK and about 22 million people on Facebook, so the sure. scale's very it's different. It's very different. I mean, it, I think it is worrying how kind of um, prevalent these things might be and also kind of how gullible we can be we just kind of switch off when we see things on on Twitter or Facebook it's kind of got a veneer of respectability about it so you know you see these memes about politics shared all the time Um, one of the examples um, that I think has been suggested to be linked to the Russians is there's a photograph that went viral um, just after the attack on Westminster Bridge, which seemed to suggest that a a woman who was wearing a hijab was walking past and not helping. And, and indifferent to what was happening, yeah. she was looking at her phone. Um, and that was not a real uh, image at all, and there's been some suggestion that that's linked back. Well, no, I think the photographer said that is not the story which he yeah. took a photograph of, and it's been completely mixed yeah. and true, and she was concerned, and and you know it's, it's again you know what you see isn't necessarily what you get but also how it was manipulated and that went wildfires kind of yeah. anti-muslim kind of and a classic example of what may said about sowing discord now the, the politics of this fascinates me because as you mentioned that one boris johnson denied there'd been any interference and then on a slightly even bigger scale you've got the other kind of um bouffant head buffoon which is donald trump also Denying, I met President Putin. This is last week. He said, "I'm I'm assured by his his remarks that Russia hasn't interfered at all in our democratic process." And you think, well, that's not a surprise for Donald to say this. But I thought it was fascinating. It may put itself directly at odds with Trump. Yes. Um you know, we remember the pictures from, from January of the Prime Minister going to the White House and helping uh, the US President down the ramp and inviting him on behalf of Her Majesty the Queen to come to Britain for a state visit. Well, that all seems to have cooled a bit now. Um, and yeah, she does seem to be setting herself um, at odds with the President. Um, it's interesting, <laughs> Russia wants this discord, this unity. It's not so much... Whether Britain 
is inside or outside the EU. I don't think they could care less. What they want, ultimately, is the breakup of the EU because then you can unpick the constituent parts of the EU, some of which may be more... Uh, likely to go back towards Mother Russia, for example, um, and it's that the disharmony because um, you know you've got Russia, one old superpower, China, another superpower, US, another superpower, and then you've got this massive collection or twenty-seven, soon to be twenty-seven countries at the heart of Europe, which have sanctions against Russia over Ukraine. Which exactly, exactly, and I don't think. Vladimir Putin likes likes that unity. So, because we must remember, there were some pro-EU tweets, obviously came out of Russia as well. So it's 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 not it's not correct to say that it was all pro-Brexit um, tweets that were coming out of Russia. It's the sort of mixed messages and yeah, the fermenting the discord. I think so, we've yeah, got to look a, at yeah, it's it's a it's a, a kind of program of a kind of destabilization. Destabil- exactly. And destabilization. All of the subject of things being destable or unstable. We have Brexit yet Yay. again, and quite an important week for Brexit. I, I you know some people are going well, on board of Brexit. I really <laughs> want to hear. We are not here. We we are we are Brexit junkies. We're Brexit addicts, and we care because it matters because it's the future of our country and what sort of economic deal will affect your life as well and on saying that what they were talking about this week was actually quite technical Ben you were in for debates yesterday yes. try and give a simplest possible explainer <laughs> of amendment 381 so well <laughs> uh, so I went in for the very start of uh, the committee stage of the EU withdrawal bill the flagship Brexit bill as we call it in shorthand uh, I didn't stay for all eight hours of it I must confess last night um, but it was interesting because a lot of the debates seemed to be dominated by this plan that Theresa May threw out late last week to uh, to have the withdrawal date set at 11pm on March 29th, 2019. That's when we're definitely going to leave. That's and it. And shine us in law. We have no choice. <laughs> and what's brilliant is that's an hour earlier than we were all originally told. And that's Brussels' fault because we're leaving at midnight Brussels time, which, of course, they're an hour ahead on the continent. I so, can see some of Brexiteers already frothing at the mouth <laughs> of this. And there was actually a fairly lengthy debate before we got to a substantial debate about where we should do this on UK time or Brussels exactly, time. Exactly, exactly. That's how, you know, these people who care about Brexit, they really care <laughs> we're about We're down Brexit. to the great minutiae of it. And, you know, they, they all worry about whether we're going to read it on an analogue or digital watch as well, because <laughs> it does matter. So... Keep going, Ben. Sorry, but yeah, so the MPs <laughs> they spent quite a long time yesterday debating that. There's not a vote on that for several weeks. You know, I think that's actually the the eighth day of an eight day debate is when they'll vote on that, which will be uh, four weeks from now, or three weeks from now. I beg to uh, beg your pardon. Um, yeah, the, the debate was fascinating for. You, you could see the Tory rebels already building up ahead of steam. These are the Tory Remainer rebels. Yes, the Tory Remainer rebels. So the likes of Anna Subri, uh, the former business minister, Dominic Grieve, who was the Attorney General, and of course the father of the House, former Chancellor Ken Clark. Now, already they were sort of showing their but their remain colours at this stage of the debate. So the Prime Minister must be a bit worried about if they, if they feel that confident and emboldened in the first hour mm. of the debate, what come come the eighth day of the committee stage debate what what they will be like then and we should explain but the reason they're so exercised is the and the reason like Dominic Grieve for example called it balmy and Ken Clark called it utterly foolish was because they fear that if you're close to a deal and a little bit of extra time beyond the cutoff date of 11 p.m. 29th of March 2019 could secure a deal why are they binding their hands in this way? I mean, and and that's what we're fearing is that guillotine comes down, and then we crash out without a deal, even when one was in our grasp. I think back to the Good Friday Agreement, 
which there was a deadline on that. Talks must end by, I can't remember the time was, but it must end by a certain time. And it overran by hours and hours and hours. And is anyone saying that's a bad thing, that they had extra time to talk? You know, they're still living peace, 20 years of peace almost in, in Northern Ireland. So, of course, if, if you're close to a deal, you don't just give up and walk away. So, oh, clock's done, but we're off. Of course, you should extend it. You've got to, you know, there's going to be compromise coming over the next year's worth of debate, uh, of negotiations between Brussels and, and the UK. Um, so, of course, you can't just have a fixed time. Because if you're so close to a deal, you don't want to throw it all away because the bonk, well, it won't be Big Ben bonk, will it? Because it's silent again. But, you know, just because the clock's struck 11 in the UK you don't want to walk away and chuck away the possibility of a, of a deal and what was interesting Nicola, was that May introduced this amendment right at the last moment in an article for the Telegraph uh, just after uh, or head of Boris Johnson we heard and Michael Gove of, uh, the team has got back together uh, and putting pressure on the Prime Minister to do a push be kind of more true to the Brexit cause? Is there a fair way of assessing it? Yeah, I think some people went as far as to describe it as an Orwellian plot to influence the Prime Minister. But it is interesting that those two seem to be uh, best friends again. And um, I think she was accused of of introducing a gimmick by Ken Clark yesterday. Um, And I I think that's really interesting because she seems to keep doing these things at the last minute which just looked like she's panicking and as you say her her own side I mean it was actually really entertaining to to hear someone like Ken Clark just speak so passionately um but so critically of his own side essentially and then you've got someone like Dominic Grieve who's not known for kind of flamboyance um you know he's a the former uh, attorney general um, so very legal-minded, who was saying that he would he would not vote for this, even if he was the only one not to do so. To which, of course, a chorus of Anna Soubry and Nicky Morgan and all the rest of them said, well, "You won't be, we'll be there." So they, they were. I mean, it wasn't helped, I suppose, visually by the numbers. There weren't actually that many MPs in the chamber yesterday because this is a long process, and obviously people come in for the amendments that they're particularly exercised about but they were the really strong voices and then the Telegraph today obviously the same paper that's carried um, May's announcement um, kind of emblazoned them on the front page this um, is all the Tory rebels calling them mutineers um, and uh, it's quite funny in a way because they've used their photo- their official parliamentary photographs in which they're all smiling and all look really happy <laughs> so it just kind of adds to this fact that they were the ones that were kind of on the front foot yesterday there is a you remember with the, the three high court judges on the article 50 um, ruling back at the end of last year uh, you know the, the enemies of the people and then <laughs> yeah. a few weeks after that crushed the saboteurs and here we are you know the, the mutineers um, there's there's big pressure coming from some of the right-wing press on these Tory rebels to do their duty as, as the right-wing would have it. There's a McCarthy-like tone to some of this, isn't there? You're not yeah. allowed to have any kind of insurrection or, or against Brexit it, at all. But, you know, anybody who tries to stop it in whatever form, even a tiny bit of scrutiny, mm. is now seen as kind of a heretic of the First Order. I, I find, personally, I find it kind of, kind of slightly unsettling that's polluting national conversation but within the Tory party this is disastrous because it's setting Tory against Tory and yet again we're finding the national issue the cause of Brexit which Mm. should be kind of a a great collective endeavour is being driven entirely by the 
dynamics within the Conservative Party and be may kind of expediently try to solve those as she goes along. But lest, lest we forget, this is how we ended up with Brexit <laughs> yeah. in the first place. It was an attempt <laughs> to solve the divisions within the Conservative Party. And I remember about five, six years ago, um, there was a diary story about Claire Perry, who um, was then a backbencher. Can you say this is a polite one about Claire Perry? (laughs) 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 Well, I'll I'll make it polite. Uh, She was on the backbenches next to Douglas Carswell, of course, formerly of the Conservative Party and later of UKIP. Um, And uh, he'd he'd made some some anti-EU speech and she she leaned over to him and said, and uh, I'll change the language slightly here, (laughs) why don't you just get lost and join UKIP? Which, of course, he did and um, you know Carswell very proud that he pushed for, for Brexit which he's, he's now got and he's no longer in Parliament because he doesn't see the point anymore because he's got what he wanted but that's how we ended up here it was this huge division of the Tory party which goes all the way back to Maastricht I um, mean you know in the early 90s and that David Cameron was an attempt to try and draw a line under it from the Conservative Party's perspective once and for all, and it's backfired. And now we're. Uh, Cameron said he few... was going to be going to end the Tory feuding over Europe for, for, <laughs> for a generation, if not beyond. Uh, well, there's no division amongst me and my, my two guests. Uh, we are entirely authentic. What you hear has not been influenced by the Russians or anybody else. <laughs> yeah. uh, thank yeah. you. Yes. Thank you very much for listening. You can. Uh, subscribe and add your comments at uh, mirror.co.uk forward slash eyes that's a-y-e-s my twitter handle is um, at jbt mirror ben's is at ben glaze all lowercase and nicola nicola r bartlett as i say thanks very much for listening we'll be back next week with a budget special see you soon